0: We've been in a series now on prayer for a while, but just last week we began kicking off of practicing prayer. Of Each week we're looking at a different prayer practice, a way to be able to engage with God in our times with Him. And last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, the, the most significant prayer to me in all of Scripture where Jesus says this is how you pray. And if you missed that, please go back and listen to it genuinely because i believe last week's message while it wasn't a great sermon what it's talking about is truly to me the most important sermon i've given in the last two years of being here in the 70 or so sermons just because there's there's no prayer to me that's more valuable than praying the lord's prayer of centering us we pray that with sincerity not recite but praying it in the way of the heart of god with sincerity and genuineness listen leaning into that to me everything else falls in place when we actually live out the reality of that prayer not just say the words but live it out so go back and listen that please if you missed it last week and so this week we're going to be heading into Psalm 23, and next week another one, the following week another one. Each time, each of these we do are like these prayer practices. I recognize some of you may like, yeah, I've looked at that before, I've tried that before, or that seems weird or different, but I want to encourage you every day, if you can't do it every day, at least three times this week, practice the practice this week of Psalm 23. And it may be for some of us like exercising a muscle we haven't worked at the gym before, trying a new exercise that feels awkward, it may be hard, it may not be comfortable, it may not be something you enjoy the first time you do it. But it's something we need to keep doing. That's why, just please, minimum three times try doing it the way we describe it to be able to exercise those muscles, to be able to try these different things. For me, this has been radical over the last decade or so of my life of trying, engaging and practicing different prayer practices. Some of them very ancient, some of them more modern, whatever it is, and trying to, to get back to that place of learning there's different ways and avenues which God can speak and revive your prayer life, revive your intimacy with him as he draws you nearer into his presence. And so today we're, we're jumping into Psalm 23, and as we, as we jump into Psalm 23, I mean, these, this and the Lord's Prayer to me are the two most powerful prayers in the Scripture to memorize, passages I would say to memorize, the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 as we'll talk about today. They're like just this one-two punch that's so beautiful. Please have both of them memorized. If you don't yet, spend time, memorize them both and pray them regularly. But remember, in the Psalm 23 specifically, this psalm, the psalms are not written as prayers to be recited. They're not written as things just to say or things to read like a letter. They are psalms. They are they're prayers to be worshipped and prayed out with great contemplation of considering the words and, and carrying and owning those words as we pray them to God and then working through them, not just saying them, but working through them and and adding to them our own prayers as we engage with them. So let's begin then with praying the Lord's prayer together. Pray with me, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. How many of you struggled to repeat that without the thighs and the thines in it? A little King James English that many of us may have memorized it in. These are probably the best known words of the Bible outside of John 3.16, maybe even more so well known because even many who are not Christians know this passage or parts of it. But where is this passage most often quoted? Anyone know? At funerals, right? It's amazing. And understandably, because this is with people that are close to death, this passage can be very comforting However, this is not a prayer about death. It is not a prayer. David was not praying it because he was going to die soon. He had no expectation of that. This is not a prayer for death or how to die well. It's a prayer of how to live well. Right. This is a prayer of life. When speaking of Psalm 23, Dallas Willard in the book, um, The Life Without Lack, he says this, he says, unfortunately, the Lord is my shepherd is a sentiment carved on the tombstones more often than the reality, or sorry, than a reality written in our lives. You get that idea? Meaning that more often people tend to quote this as comfort for the dying, or it's written on tombstones more than saying that this, that poem is actually about a way of living. It's a, it's a way of life which is what this is talks about, the entire thing is about life, not death. In fact, if you want to be deeply challenged in your walk with God, I highly recommend this one called Life Without Lack, Living in the Fullness of Psalm 23. Only about a third of it's actually about Psalm 23, but it's, though it's not an easy read if you, if you enjoy reading. It's, it's a bit deep, but man, it'll challenge you in your life with God. But the Lord's Prayer, last week we looked at it's very similar in many ways to Psalm 23. If you, if you looked at them together, you compare, and you see there's a lot of elements that are combined in it. And again, it must not be recited. It must be lived out. That's the key thing. The short prayer speaks of this foundational truth that we see in Scripture. And, and I regularly pray through the Psalms and you know, other Scripture on a, on a regular basis, but Psalm 23 and, and the Lord's Prayer together are like my bread and butter. They're like, just like a one-two punch that I just kind of go back and forth between them most days. It was actually Willard, I think about 12 years ago I heard, he, he prays these you know, every morning together to me. That takes too long, so I usually pick one in the morning or sometimes one every other day and, and kind of rotate back and forth. But if you've ever wondered, how can I grow in prayer? Honestly, my best answer for people. Anytime that's asked, the Lord's Prayer, Psalm twenty-three. There's your one-two punch. You want to grow? Don't just recite them, memorize them, and prayerfully dwell upon them and contemplate them as you grow and consider the actual words that you're saying, the significance of what that means. I found this on the web. Well, thank you. Um <laughs> You will never outgrow either of these prayers this side of eternity, right? They're like that onesie we talked about last week that's perfect for new believers, but you'll never outgrow it. It will always mature with you, even the, into this side of eternity. So today I'd like to open up this prayer of Psalm 23 a little bit more for us, to be able to see it in the context to which it was written, and to we can pray it a little more in the ways that those who prayed it 3,000 years ago when it was written would be praying it. And so the psalm begins, we'll jump in, it begins a psalm of David, now, remember who David was. He was a shepherd boy. He was a, a man after God's own heart. But he was also a deeply flawed human being who was a murderer, an adulterer. He was a horrific parent, right? He, he had lust issues until his dying breath. But no matter what, David always ran back to God. Every time he wandered, he came back to God, no matter how far he strayed. And You'll see that's very important in a minute. And then the psalm kicks off in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we're just going to make our way through the the passage this morning. And we can easily spend the whole sermon this morning just here on the first line. The Lord is my shepherd. God calls himself first here, or David calls God a shepherd. And the primary job of a shepherd is to care for and to lead the sheep. And why is it necessary for that? Why does a shepherd, or why does the sheep need a shepherd all the time? And the reason for that, maybe we don't like to say, but the reality is sheep are pretty dumb. In fact, sheep are the most needy of all livestock. It's kind of a joke people make, but it's true. There's, there's not even a close second when it comes to livestock. There are endless stories of sheep and their foolishness, and Scripture is full of them. In fact, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, God says this, is All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Right? It's what sheep do, it's what we do. There are countless other passages in scripture, over two hundred times, that God connects sheep to us and our foolishness and our wandering ways or, or the fact that we can't do it on our own. But the most amazing thing about sheep is they literally can't survive on their own. They can't do it. They require a shepherd. Left on their own, they will put themselves in harm's way again and again and again. They panic easily and, and get frightened and, and they require constant leading and shepherding. They're defenseless. They have literally no means of protection. They, they are prone to wander and they're unable to find their way home if they do. They have no homing ability to get back home. And they will fall to their death unless there are boundaries around them or a shepherd to lead them in the right way. Their only hope of living is a shepherd. And they're not very bright. In fact, there's a, wi- a video I saw a little while back about a sheep that gets itself stuck in a ditch. And I, I want to play that of what happens when it's freed. Oh, Well, you can go to the qr code and watch the quick video clip there but I mean, it's hilarious if you look at it on youtube there's actually a bunch of those videos that wasn't like a one-off thing of different sheep doing that and it's very easy to laugh at how dumb sheep are um, but then we realize wait what does god call us sheep many many times why because we are dumb maybe not you i, mean, I should just speaks personally i am dumb and we also need a shepherd we freak out when we're scared. We're prone to wander. And on our own, without a shepherd, we will keep falling again and again and again. Whenever I have a few minutes to kill, the place you'll find me usually is, if I have my phones is, on me, is Googling or YouTubing you know, stupid human fails or stupid human things. And, and just I'm like a moth drawn to flame, I love watching fail videos. I don't know what it is. I'm sure I'm not the only one in that category. There's a reason they have billions of views on YouTube. right? We are dumb. There's far more videos of stupid people being stupid than sheep, that's for sure. Um... <laughs> In fact, I was thinking, like, I don't know, what's the dumbest thing I've ever done? And I said, I should share this? But right at the top of my list that came very quickly as I was thinking about was I tried to pet a wild great white shark in the ocean. That was one of the dumber things I've done. Back when I lived in South Africa, we went shark cage diving. Here I am in a picture, I think, of, of in the shark cage with the great white sharks. And uh, they swim right next to the cage when you're in it. You can see me in the cage there. And it literally almost touched the cage with its As It got past me. A brilliant one. I reached out to grab its body and to pet it. I had no idea how fast those things are. Turns out a 12-foot great white shark can turn on a dime. And it turned so fast, it almost bit my arm off, and it grabbed a hold of the cage and shook the cage. And I realized sheep are smarter than me. Um, (laughs) And uh, luckily, I still have my arm today. But he says, the Lord is my shepherd. It says, I shall not want. Now, it doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. the Lord is the great shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. And that's very important here. It personalizes it. Because this isn't just about extolling how great God is, though there are places to worship Him for that. But it's acknowledging here, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. This is the one that I follow. The Lord is the shepherd that I belong to, therefore I follow Him. And the whole point of this is that sheep follow their shepherd, They'd follow their voice. And so by for, for declaring that God is my shepherd, I am declaring that I will follow him wherever he leads. And that's, you see, that's not a passive statement. By saying my, it's saying I will follow him. It's just like the Lord's Prayer. And so many of us just recite that or recite Psalm 23, and we don't actually mean what we say. I heard someone say, this poem of Psalm 23 is written on more pieces of marble than it is on people's hearts. Right, being at, at places of mausoleums or on tombstones or something like that but we love to quote it and put it on memorials but we don't often live it out the lord is my shepherd not just a shepherd my shepherd which means that i follow him and so to properly pray this means we actively arrange our lives in such a way that we are following his ways and his leading and saying that yes i want to follow you jesus and your paths, and your ways, and not my own, saying, you know what, I am in the care of somebody else. I'm not in control, and that's really hard for us to admit. And if we can't do that, he's not actually our shepherd, he's just a shepherd. To say, I'm not in charge, I'm taking my kingdom, and I've surrendered it to God's kingdom. I'm taking my ways, and I'm surrendering them to God's ways. I'm trusting that his way is better than mine, and he knows the way better than I do. Amen. What does that sound like? Maybe that sounds like the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So not only does David say that the Lord is my shepherd, but he says, I shall not want. Literally what that means is I shall not lack anything I need. The good shepherd takes care of the sheep. He ensures that all of their needs are met It's the same thing that Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, just after the Lord's prayer, Matthew tells them, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You won't lack anything you need, Jesus says. And David here is saying, God will take care of all of our needs. Anyone ever live in fear, anxiousness, that you won't have what you need? Definitely me. Whether it be finances or security or other stuff. You I know, mean, I've shared it before, but I never really struggled with money most of my entire life of a lack, being in missions. It was just I knew God provided, He always provided, no matter what it was, we even owned a home. Like God just always provided, never worried until I came to America and got a paycheck that was like to the penny every single week. I know what it's going to be on that number. And all of a sudden, with housing prices and everything else. Man, it's been a struggle. So often. It's been my largest struggle probably since coming back here. And I have to keep coming back to this truth again and again and again and again. I'm like that sheep just jumping right back into the ditch every single time God pulls me out of it. I'm like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I'm like, whew, all right, I'm so, fine. And another day goes by and boom, right back in the ditch. Okay, Lord, I need you again. Pull me out. I'm freaking out again. Struggling to trust him again. This prayer is so incredible, just daily coming back. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Or as the Lord's Prayer says, "Give us this day our daily bread." Right? There's these huge parallels in these prayers. It's pretty awesome. Remember, again, we're talking about sheep here, and and he says in the next verse, he says, "He makes me lie down in green pastures." Now, sheep for green pastures, of course, would be the dream of a sheep. And so, first, for some some context here, in his book. Um, a great, or sorry, in his great book, this was here, it's called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. Uh, Philip Keller is a former shepherd who then became a pastor and, and wrote this book after years of being a shepherd. He describes this whole idea of a sheep laying down in green pastures. And he says, first, there's four things necessary for a sheep to lay down in green pastures. In order for them to be willing to lay down, they must have four things. One, they must be free of all fear. They will not lay down if they're afraid. They must be free of friction with other sheep. They have to not be upset or annoyed with the people around them. They must be free of flies and parasites that are annoying them. And they must be free from hunger, otherwise a sheep will not lay down. So for a sheep to lie down, what must happen? They must have their needs taken care of. They will not do it unless, even if they're in a green field, they won't lay down unless their needs are taken care of. That's the first thing it shows. And the second thing he says here is this thing about green pastures. And that means if it's green, it means it's a place to rest. Because when we think about green pastures, what comes to mind when you think about sheep in green pastures? For me, it's probably something like this, right? A huge like paradise for sheep of giant green rolling hills, right? Something you may have seen in England or maybe in the Midwest or, or or maybe in New Zealand in the Shire, um, these green pastures that are spread out. But That's actually not what it looks like, because remember, David wasn't raising his sheep in Wisconsin, right? He was raising his his sheep in the deserts of Israel, and this is what sheep pastures look like in Israel, right? Not quite as lush. In Israel, it only rains a couple months of the year, and even during the height of rainy season, this might be what the pastures look like. That would be a nice green pasture in Israel for much of the time, or only a couple months of the year. So the shepherd leads the sheep. When he says there's green pastures, he leads them where there is food to eat. It's not when we think there's not food everywhere. He has to lead them to the food. It's not just some giant pasture. They get to eat whenever they want. There's not a lot of food for them. And if without the shepherd, they will die of starvation. And flocks in this area of the world are always on the move, always, because there's not enough food, and they're not even allowed to eat all the food that's there, because what the sheep will do is they'll pull everything out, and there'll be nothing left for the future. And so the shepherd keeps them moving to look for food. In fact, when they look at grass, eat, do eat, find grass, this is what it actually looks like usually for most of the year. You might even be able to see that easily. Just dry tufts of grass is what most of them eat. In fact, when you go and watch sheep grazing from a distance, it looks like sheep are eating rocks, because they're eating the little pieces of grass stuck in between the rocks that the shepherd's leading them to. So what does this require for sheep? It means trusting the shepherd because they don't know where the food is, but he does. And it means at times there will be green pastures and there'll be times in the the wet seasons where he'll be able to lead them there. And in those times, there'll be places of rest in the wet months where they get the rest, but it's temporary. The sheep don't dwell in the green pastures. It's a temporary thing that they're led into. And I love that for so many reasons. First of all, it means, one, that God is the one who's promised to take care of us and he will take care of our needs. Right? He is our shepherd. Second, it means we must follow him. The path to life is in following the leading of the great shepherd and following his paths, not our own, following his voice and his will and his kingdom. Third, it means he will also give us rest and he will lead us to green pastures as we need it. He knows what we need. We won't dwell and live forever in the green pastures. But he will take us there when we need it. And I love that. Because we're dependent upon him. Following his ways. Trusting that his ways are better than ours. And all this, of course, is dependent upon us following him. Allowing him to lead. He's not a cowboy. He doesn't drive the sheep. He goes in front. He leads them. And we must follow. But amazingly, even when we wander off, he comes and picks us up and brings us back. Amen. Next, it says, He makes me lie down green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Again, in the desert, they aren't huge rivers here. So the primary water they drink, is, it's uh, dew that's on either some of the leaves or that's on the rocks that are around them in the shade. Sometimes there'll be streams and sometimes maybe a well or something, but it's the shepherd who knows where the water is. The sheep don't. And the shepherd is the one who leads them there. Trusting him is the sheep's job. Trusting that he's leading them the right way, even when it's scary. Right, verse 3. David says, he, being the good shepherd, restores my soul. I love this picture. Anyone ever felt weary or downcast, right? Maybe from the world that's going on, from situations, or from poor choices and decisions or sin. There's an amazing thing that happens that Philip Keller talks about in this book, what he calls the downcast or the cast-down sheep. It's a phenomenon with sheep. And it's something that happens when a sheep turns over on its back and can no longer move. It usually happens, he says, and it happens frequently, he describes it, where they, when they have extra heavy wool, when they're heavy laden with extra weight, or they're just too fat, and they've been eating too much, and they're too heavy, and they begin to roll on their side, and they roll too far, and they land on their back, which is flat, and they get stuck. And he describes how the problem is with sheep, there's this gas that builds up, and they will die within hours when that happens. They cannot right themselves, and they require help. And the gas builds up, it cuts off circulation of their legs, and soon they will die. And he describes how frequently as a shepherd, he'd be in a place where he would see buzzards circling over the pasture somewhere and that would mean there's likely a sheep that was cast down on its back because the buzzards are just waiting for it to die to come pick it apart and he'd take off running to where he saw the buzzard circling and then take the sheep and put it back on its feet and massage its legs and get it to the point that it can walk again and be up and running and so as a good shepherd he would run when he saw the sheep on their back cast down I didn't know if that was actually true so I looked at it and I found this YouTube video check this out A cast down sheep that is too heavy laden requires restoration. I mean, are not the parallels just so obvious there? And God restores us when we are foolish and we are overwhelmed with life. And He's not angry when He does it, He's not disgusted. He's loving and patient like the prodigal father running after the child to lift the son back up. I love this picture of the shepherd literally running to the sheep who's on its back of its own foolishness or its own mistakes or maybe just things the world did of too much weight or too much weight that he's been carrying for too long and running to it just like that picture to me of the prodigal father running to the son. Not of judgment, not of anger, not of discussing how did you put yourself in the situation again, but running to them with love and compassion and care. I mean, read the Gospels. On every single page, you see Jesus going around and restoring cast down sheep, picking them up and putting them back on their feet and massaging their legs as they get back on and going. That's what he's doing every single day. How many of us need to be restored today? How many of us are right now on our back just dealing with the garbage of life? I mean, we're too afraid to approach God because we think we're looking into the eyes of disgust or anger or something else. We don't know how good the shepherd is. He just wants to restore us, give him some massage and put his back on our feet, amen? That you call out to him this morning. Call out, bah, right? Call out, Lord, I need you. And he goes on, he says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He doesn't just restore me when I fall, but He leads me in paths of righteousness. He doesn't want us to remain cast down, but He leads us to paths of beauty and life. But again, we have to follow Him. He's not driving us, He leads us. It means we have to follow Him. He offers us forgiveness. And maybe you're struggling with resentment, maybe you're struggling with with anger towards other people, or bitterness in your hearts, and and God restores us, he forgives us, he puts us on our feet, but then he calls us, he says he leads us to passive righteousness, which means we then must go and do the hard work of forgiving others and those who have hurt us. It's now incumbent upon us to follow his leading and go and forgive others. He doesn't carry us, he leads us. Maybe it's lust and you're falling into old patterns with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe it's of your mind or it's pornography or something else and he restores you and he forgives us. But then we must follow his leading in making the right decisions and and putting in the right things around us to follow his paths of righteousness. And God is so good. I mean, anyone ever feel like you've been pulled out by God and saved from your anxiousness and fears and worries and then you just like me, you just jump right back in that ditch again the next day or the next hour, the next week. You're in a sin and you receive forgiveness and you get put back on your feet, you start running, and then it just feels like a second later you're on your back again. Jesus is there. He runs. Amen? Verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Here he refers to the valleys that the sheep are led through. And the valleys is where the greatest danger is. So here's a picture of one of the valleys in Israel. And the amazing thing about the valleys is that's where the wolves and the predators live. Do we have that photo just throw up there on the valleys? Nope, never mind. So the valleys is is where... uh, The valleys in Israel is is where there are these deep valleys in the land, but it's amazing the shadows are there, so that's where the predators were hide, but at the bottom of that is where it's the most green part of the entire area. Why? Because life grows in the darkness, in the shadow, in the desert, that's the area of most life, and so it's the scariest area, but they'd have to walk through it, because that's where the most food is for the sheep. But it's also where the most difficult time is. And it's, it's interesting how it's the most difficult place. It's also the area that brings the most growth and life. But it's in that place where it's so easy to be afraid that David says, I will not fear in the shadow of death. Why? Why will David not be afraid when he is there? It's the centerpiece of the entire song. He says, for you are with me. There it is. That's what it's all about. This whole psalm centers on this idea that you are with me. That's what it's all about. The shepherd is with the sheep. They do not need to be afraid because they trust the shepherd. David saying, I do not need to be afraid because you are here in the midst of the shadow of death. I am right with you and you are with me. How do we respond in the valleys and the shadows of death in our life? When things seem darkest, do we remember and recognize that he is with us? Remember, this is how I started the whole series back a couple months ago. It was message after message on that God wants to dwell with us. And so we'll say, James, Where we get talking about prayer, times. So I've spent a few weeks, God wants to dwell with us. And I'm saying, no, that is the centerpiece. Nothing matters unless we get that. God dwells with us, and that is the centerpiece of this prayer. He is with us. That is the only way that David can have no fear in the midst of these places is because of the nearness of God. In the darkest times and the hardest times, he's right there with us. And David goes on to say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was a a weapon that a shepherd would carry with them to attack predators with. And the staff is that curved stick that they would use to tend and care for the sheep. They would use to pull them out of difficult situations like you saw there, or oftentimes to yank them out of the, the thorn bushes or to pull back bushes to let them through. It was used to care for them. And David finds comfort in that God is able to protect him and care for him at the same time. But remember, for David, these aren't figurative enemies he's talking about, are figurative shadows of death. David was literally running from people trying to kill him, armies trying to slaughter him, family trying to wipe him out. These aren't figurative enemies. But when death seems, in, when death seems imminent for David... When he feels like a complete failure, committing adultery, and his family is in ruins, and all of his people are against him, he holds on to this reality. God is with me. And then in verse 5, we have the biggest shift in this psalm. The imagery goes from looking at God as the shepherd, to now it's going to go to looking at God as the host. And now David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And to me, this is the most powerful image of the entire psalm. Everything David is praying here is emphasizing that God is with him. And because of that, that he will not lack anything that he needs. That he does not need to fear that God will take care of him even in the hard times. And now he gives this incredible picture here. That God will take care of him and that God is going to lay out a meal for him right in the middle of his enemies. And I so love this imagery. That God prepares a table right in the midst of the battle. Not when the battle's over, right? Not when it's easy, but it says, God prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. So what David is saying is the Lord has sat down a table for him right in the middle of the battle. Again, not the safety of home, not with the distance of things being okay, but right there in the middle of the battle, right in the midst of the pain, right in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of the challenge, God has sat down with him. And God says, share a meal with me. And you say, but the battle's ongoing. And God says, no, sit down, pause, take a breath take a sip. I'm right here with you. Share a meal with me. Look at me. And we say, but what about the attacks? Don't you see what's going on all around me? He says, I do. I'm with you. I'm right here. Look at me. I'm with you. We say, what about the sickness? What about the surgery that's coming up? What about my family? What about my marriage? What about my kids or the custody battle? What about all these things that are happening? I mean, look at my bank account, God. How can I just sit here? Once we get out of the storm, I'm happy to have a meal with you. We'll put it on, we'll get back to this later, but right now, deliver me. And God's response is, look at me. Stop. Have a bite. Have a sip. I'm right here with you. I'll be honest, this has been... One of the toughest years of my life this past year. Today, crazily enough, is the one-year anniversary of my dad's death. Um, for those who don't know the story, died of cancer a year ago, got diagnosed with cancer literally like two weeks after we finally decided to move back to America so that we could do ministry together. On top of that, it's been my first year being a pastor, which I didn't realize how much work that was. Um, right. The last two years, statistics have shown 40% of pastors who were pastoring two years ago have either quit or retired in the last two years post-COVID. Worst it's ever been in history because it's just gotten so hard. And I love what I get to do, but it's, it's not easy. And It's been, it's been a, the hardest year of my life by far. And this week's been a rough week because I'm just like, man. So I'm just like, last year when my dad was alive so i'm like dad i was up here i preach it from the pulpit like Lord, you can't let him die you're gonna heal him lord there's no room in this because i did not move back to america to watch him die i moved back to america to serve alongside him not to watch him die and i feel so The lord just said just look at me i'm here with you and this past year after his death so i'm like lord it hurts it wasn't supposed to be this way He's supposed to be preaching and, and counseling and leading worship and doing other things. We're supposed to do this together, God. It wasn't supposed to be this way. And the Lord just says, I'm here. Look at me. Take a bite. I know. It's hard. It's So often, I've been praying this prayer just like, Lord, I need you right now. He says, I'm right here. Take a bite. Slow down. I'm right here with i don't know what is for you maybe it's cancer maybe it's a diagnosis that you don't understand maybe it's a family situation maybe it's really attacks from enemies maybe people are trying to get you fired at work i don't know whatever the attack is where the enemies are coming from but jesus is saying in the midst of it sit down and look at me i am right there with you i'm not going anywhere i'm right here with you in the midst of it and this image is something we just need burned into our brains that he is right there with us. He's not going anywhere. He offers his love and his comfort to us right in the midst of the fire. In fact, what a beautiful illustration we see in the book of Daniel of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And where does Jesus do it? Does he deliver them from it? He meets them right in the middle of the furnace before he delivers them. He shows up right in the furnace. says, I'm right here with you. So David's praying this prayer, yes, because it's true. He needs to pray it. But also remember, he often doesn't feel it. Just read Psalm 22, and you'll think David is schizophrenic between the two psalms. 22, he's screaming out, God, you've abandoned me. Where are you? Then 23, he speaks out this truth. He comes back to it. Can we pray that? Can we come back again and again to, Lord, you are here in the middle of the storms, and I'm overwhelmed. Whatever it is, just stop. Remember, he's right here with us. Amen. He goes on to say, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Oil just being a a cultural tradition that they would give to honored guests. Remember Jesus, when the woman, caught, or the woman uh, is washing his feet with tears and her hair, Jesus even says that moment like, to Simon, like, you didn't even anoint my head with oil, right? That was just a common thing they would do in that time of a soothing oil they put on the hair. So it's a soothing, it's a comforting thing. And you would fill my cup overflowing means that as, as a host, you would keep the cup forever full, always full, which means there's always more than enough. And David says, you're always right here in the midst of my enemies. You're making sure that I'm taken care of. And that's why this prayer is so powerful. It's life in the midst of death. It's hope in the midst of despair. This prayer is, is joy in the midst of sadness. It's it's life. It's not about death, it's about life. Why? Because God is with us. That's what it's centered upon. God is here, He's at the table, He's leading us if we'll only follow Him and trust Him. And then the whole psalm finishes. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It says he knows God is with him all the days of his life. doesn't mean his circumstances are going to go well, obviously not for David. Again, just read Psalm twenty twenty two. 22. But he speaks this truth again and again and again. And if you've been following this whole series, the whole centerpiece of the series is we dwell, All prayer is rooted in that reality. We are with Him. That's what it's all about. We are with God. He is our shepherd. He is the one we trust. No matter the circumstances, He is our source of life. And life is only found in Him. This comes up many times in the words of Jesus, in the book of John especially. I mean, I think when Jesus and many of his disciples had deserted him, knowing that falling was too hard, Jesus turns to them and says, Will you guys desert me as well? And in John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him and says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. A couple of chapters later, when Jesus' most famous line regarding sheep begins by saying, I have come that they may have what? Life and have it in the full or in abundance. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus lays down his life so we can experience life in him. He's come to give us a full life. Or my favorite passage, the only place that actually defines eternal life anywhere in scripture, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life. That they, that being us, know you, Lord, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Church, life is found with Jesus. A life without lack is only found in Christ. Complete sufficiency is only found in a life centered on the reality of Jesus with our eyes fixed upon him. This is what the psalm screams out in its verses. It's why it's one of the absolute greatest passages to memorize along with the Lord's prayer and not recite, but to pray again, again, to meditate upon, to, to, picture these images in our mind of being at the table with him and let this idea of being with Christ be like standing deep in the ocean with the waves, just pounding against us wave after wave after wave, each wave pounding it deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into our soul. It's God saying, I am with you. In the storms and in the highs in, the, in all the places, I am with you. I'm right there in the midst of the battle. So as we finish this morning, I want us to finish just with praying this prayer like we did last week with, with the Lord's Prayer. And that's the application for this week. So I want to encourage you, if you can every day, just take 10 minutes. If you can't do it a day, at least do three times this week. Don't be a yeah, yeah, Christian that just says, yeah, I've done that before. I tried. No, this week, do it and do it different than you've done it before. Do it slowly and prayerfully. Pray out each line and ask the Lord to speak to you. Some of you may already do that way and awesome, just keep going. But for most of us, that's not the way we're used to doing it. We recite it. Don't recite it. Contemplatively, pray out each line. Do it three times this week, either the whole thing at once, or just and then pray through, or, or just line by line go through it. So I want to finish just praying this prayer together. This is kind of the ways that I pray it, and I just, I want us to grow connecting more with the reality of who God is in our prayer life and how we live. So I'm just going to pray it out and kind of have my own prayer. You can pray it on your own as well. So we just say, Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, you are my shepherd. I want to follow you, Jesus. Only you are worthy of my complete trust. Only you will never fail me, Lord. And I will not lack because you provide for me, Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus, thank you for caring for me. When I fight against you, thank you for giving me the rest that I need, that I can trust that you will meet those needs and lead to me into the ways of life. Remind me that the world does not revolve around me or my efficiency or all the stuff I can do. Lead me in your ways, Lord. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. Thank you, Lord, that you pick me up when I fall and when I fail. You are always there for me. No matter how many times I fall, you're always there with a face of love and delight and compassion. Thank you, Lord. That every time that I jump back into the ditch and just do it again, you're right there yet again. Not with exasperation, but looking down with a heart of love and restoration. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh, Jesus, lead me in your ways of righteousness. So oft I lose sight of you and I just wander. I think of that line from Come Thou Fount of Every Mountain of prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's my heart. So often, just walking away, and every time you're there to restore me, Lord, I want to be led by you. I want to be led in how I engage my neighbors. I want to be led in in how my my search history should reflect my leading for you of the Internet, Lord. I want to be led in how I engage online. I want to be led, Lord, in how I use my finances, how I use my time, Lord. Lead me, God. Lead my heart and lead my ways, Lord Jesus, in your ways of righteousness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus, I know the struggle is where the growth is, but Lord, I hate it. It hurts, God. I miss my dad, Lord. I can't help it, Father. It hurts but I know that you are here. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Thank you that it's your comfort. Be with us, Father, in the midst of suffering. You prepare a table before us in the midst of our enemies. Jesus, in the midst of attacks and slander, condemnation, Lord. May we not forget your nearness. And you anoint our head with oil, our cup overflows, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There it is again, Lord. We get to dwell with you for all of eternity. Turn our hearts to you, Jesus. Turn our eyes to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Worship to you. You can come on up. May we hold on to you, Jesus. May we know that you are near. Through it all, Lord. As we worship, just, he's right here with us. Some of you just need to picture that table. You're sitting there with God right now as we sing. You're right there sitting with Him. Thank you, Jesus.